tonight we are on Acts 12. Uh, we Somehow we've managed to have a rhythm of, it seems like we have a study or two and then we're a, a week off and then a study and then a week off. So this is going to take a while, but my wife was asking, so when are you going to finish the Acts study? And I said, you know, uh, nativity. <laughs> <laughs> Which nativity? <laughs> nativity Theotokos, right? <laughs> so, um, but there it is. Uh, it's okay. I, I'm going to tell myself it's okay. Um, and we will continue at our pace, however that is. And tonight will probably be a little bit shorter just because I had a late start due to, well, I decided to preach a little bit after Vespers tonight. So uh, there that is. And let's start uh, reading Acts 12. Who would like to re start reading for us? I'd be happy to read if the screen would stay still. Oh, I can keep it moving. You want me to keep it moving? No. Thank you. <laughs> go for it. Uh, read. Go ahead and read. Well, I'm just looking here. Read the first five verses. It's not moving anymore, I promise. You're done? Yeah. Okay. Keep your hands away from the keyboard. <laughs> About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We have, again, a the cycle that we see that we've talked about throughout the book of Acts, but it's also, uh, I would say reflected uh, in the gospel, right? That we have the gospel as the basic frame for what the life of the church and of a Christian is supposed to be. So in the life of Christ, he enters the world, he teaches, there's reaction to him, he's rejected, uh, he's brought before a council, uh, and eventually he's killed. Uh, then we know the rest of the story being resurrected, vindicated before those who rejected him. Uh, showing himself to the apostles, uh, encouraging them, uh, telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit, ascending into heaven, and then sending the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have, um, right before this in Acts 11, I'm going to change the page, sorry, David. Uh, we have all of this discussion about uh, the life of the church in Antioch um, and the inbreaking, basically, of the Gentiles, um, which, as Paul argues in his epistles, I'm especially thinking of Romans, um, that this has always been the plan of the church. Um, but just because God's will and the church's understanding of what that's supposed to be like, doesn't it t there's some lag time. So we have within the early church uh, different groups, um, but they Luke really underlines for us that the Gentile church, the Christians who are 
uh, brought out of Gentiles and formed into the body of Christ or grafted onto the body of Christ, to use the language of Paul again, um, they are um, sacrificers. They're one who, ones who give, uh, like we've seen uh, with Barnabas, uh, with those uh, who throughout the book of Acts are willing to uh, be hospitable and give even of their own means. So the Gentile church, as it is in Antioch, is even willing to help those in Jerusalem as a great sign of, well, spiritual um, maturity, that they're really following Jesus Christ, even to sacrifice uh, for their brothers. And so we have this great unfolding of the church in Antioch. And of course, when anything good seems to be happening for the church, uh, just in the same way as Christ, as he teaches, as he has his public ministry, there is a rejection. Uh, just as we had Stephen, especially as the great uh, proto-martyr and who we had the commemoration for, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before last, um, the translation of his relics at least. Um, we have um, now another martyrdom, James, the brother of John, uh, with a sword. Uh, we also now, I think, are starting to hear as we um, if were to read the Synaxarian and read about all the different lives of the saints and the martyrs, especially the different ways in which they died. Um, rocks, swords, uh, and other you know instruments of death like that um, dominate these accounts. And now instead of stones, we have a sword and specifically Herod. What... Um, What's with Herod? Where do we? Where He's got have we a thing with swords. He has a thing for swords. <laughs> where have we heard of Herod or, before? Or, or cleaving devices in general, apparently. Ah, what are you referencing there? Uh, the, the forerunner. Yes. Yeah, the Baptist. Yes, Herod likes to have uh, prophets' uh, bloods on blood on his hands. Uh, it, I love verse three when it says he did, he killed James, brother of John with a sword and he saw it please the Jews. So he's like, okay, this will work for my constituents. Uh, <laughs> let's arrest Peter. I'm on a roll here. Let's do this. Uh, and so he places them in prison. Uh, he has a whole lot of people guarding him. Why do you think he has four squads of soldiers guarding him? C could I ask you to clarify something? I'll try. He killed James, the brother of John. Now, that's not James, the brother of Jesus. That's James, the brother of John. That's my understanding, yes. I believe James, the brother of Jesus, was killed later by Jews, by something in regarding the temple, I believe. There's something else that occurs that's not okay. in Scripture, but as in tradition. But this is it, James, the, James Zebedee. Yeah, but it was James, the brother of Jesus, who led the Council of Jerusalem. Correct. Or chaired the Council of Jerusalem, not Correct. James, the brother John. Right. Okay. okay. It's, I just want to keep them all he, straight. He died, let's see here. He died in 62 or 69. Who's he? Which one? Uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Oh. Uh, according to Eusebius, um, Let's see here. Sorry. I'm trying to look. 
Sure, I'm just doing some. I can't remember. There's, I remember something to do with James that the way that he is killed, but I'm not seeing it. Okay. Well, it's not the James brother of the Lord. Um, okay. He, I believe he's martyred later on. Maybe if uh, it might be in the um, the Synaxarian about him that I remember reading that. Um, okay. But what what do you all think of f why four squads of soldiers? These Christians have a disappearing act going on, don't they? You got Jesus in a tomb, yeah. and you guard it, and lo and behold, you got a lot of trouble. So maybe we should just put a whole lot of soldiers so that Peter doesn't hold <laughs> Jesus here. Well, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Herod. <laughs> that seems reasonable. <laughs> um, let's continue reading unless somebody else has something to comment or ask David would, I, would you like to keep reading since you only got five verses there sure I don't mind go for the, it the very night if <laughs> you're through moving the very night when Herod was about to bring him out Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your mantle around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Everybody keep going? Uh, yeah, let me scoot it down. So I'm going to be moving it for you. So much for the four squads of soldiers, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and sleeping in between two guards and having two chains. Yeah. And, and. And the gate <laughs> opening. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Read to uh, the end of 19. Oh, okay. So uh, let's see. Uh, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and told that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are mad. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell this to James and to the brethren. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small stir among the soldiers over <laughs> what had become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and could not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. 
Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and remained there. No small stir among the soldiers. Oh, <laughs> uh, so this is a fascinating uh, late night angelic escape from incredible amount of guards and every attempt it seems to keep him under wraps and yet it seems uh that's not going to hold peter back and he basically escapes from there he heads the house of mary the mother of john whose other name was mark where many were gathered together and praying we were told earlier that they were praying because he was in prison uh they recognize peter's voice but what do you all make of them saying it is his angel and not him? They would have uh, perhaps thought that uh, he was uh, killed by Herod or killed on orders of Herod in prison. That's, po that's possible. Uh, or far, more prison. far more likely that it be the angel than him simply walking out of prison. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know, I think there's, there's something interesting here that I've seen reflected. Um, guardian. I mean, this is an aspect of a guardian angel, right? He has an angel. It is his angel. And I think there's something um, about guardian angels. I've seen this reflected in a few different texts that they somehow even take on aspects of ourselves or that they're so intertwined with our life that they, because I'm sure that they actually believe that Rhoda thinks that she hears Peter's voice, but that they think that the voice that they're hearing is just his like angelic twin. Cause there's an idea that floats around in the early church um, about your guardian angel kind of being your twin in a certain sense. So you have this interesting, like your guardian angel is closely bound up. And to be completely honest in my own, you know, coming into and existing within the life and the tradition of the church um, takes time. Um, and there's, I don't think I really took very seriously prayers to the guardian angel until i don't know a few years ago not that long ago i mean it's in the prayer book so i do it but it was just kind of like well here's another prayer to do <laughs> <laughs> but i there's something very important about the angelic dimension that i felt like i don't know what why but i just maybe it was just youthful ignorance or just my eyes were just focused on other things. There's just angels everywhere. And there's angels doing all sorts of things. And nobody seems to have any kind of like question about like, are you sure about that? It's just like, Oh no, that can't be. They're more, <laughs> they're more certain it's an angel than there is that it's Peter. Um, and so I, I share that or even my own like, whatever about the prayer to the guardian angel to underline the importance of the many ways in which God's providence works. And that scripture attests to that a lot of modern Christianity 
Um, we don't like a lot of stuff in our Christianity for some reason. And I think a lot of that has to do with particular aspects of Protestantism. Um, but the tradition of the church, there's just a lot of depth. The idea that there's angels, that there's angels everywhere, that there's an angel assigned to you, that we're that there are even debates uh, in the Russian church in the last few centuries. I remember reading this in another place where there was debates like, so when do you get a guardian angel? Is it when you're born? Is it when you're baptized? Is it when you like get ta like tonsured? I think there was, there is the, at the exorcism, like there's actual debate about when, you know, and the importance of that. I can imagine people today, if we we're going to have a real debate about when you get assigned a guardian angel, most people would be like, who cares? <laughs> Yeah. I think there's something very important about the angel angels. Now I say that, but I don't mean to, because there's a lot of stupid stuff to be frank in another way about angels out there um, and esoteric stuff and stuff that's closer to magic. Uh, that is not actually the tradition of the church about angels uh, that. Uh, we should also, I mean, avoid, not just like, I don't know what to do with that, but actively avoid because that's not what we're supposed to do. But to actually... Michelangelo did not help. And the way in depicting angels? Yes. You know, all the babies. And yes. Wings and, and, and uh, it's just... <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, David. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that there, I mean, the church has a very specific <laughs> tradition and teaching that there are nine ranks of angels uh, and that these different angels have different jobs and responsibilities. There's angels that are at the throne room of God. There's angels that are messengers. There's angels that are assigned to nations. There's angels that are assigned to churches. There's angels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One of the hardest things and echoing my predecessor as rector here, Father Stephen, about the two-story universe um, is we really have our eyes closed to the ways in which this world is penetrated and not just showing forth the glory of God, but the glory of God in all of the ways in which he's actually created. And angels are created beings that work for our salvation. They're there, they're assigned. And we talk about, if I'm remembering correctly in the prayer, like kind of shame or like before the angel for our sins and what, what has occurred. I think there's something there that's reflects a deep sense of our angel is almost kind of um, almost like our conscience um, or how, I mean, I think this is where you get the dumbed down stupid version of it, right? Like the little devil and the little angel here. But I think there really is something about like the universe. If we think that there's satanic or devil, like introduction of thoughts or that those can come from bad places that why the, I would say the angelic world and our guardian angel is also a place where you could get good thoughts that are suggested to you. And there's a deep humility and the word I think I would like to use is um, porous that the world used to be porous to all of these things. And now we've basically shut down everything. Uh, there's no porousness or porosity. How would you say that? <laughs> Uh, I like porosity. Porosity. Let's make up words tonight. But I know this This is me really taking off on this text and going someplace 
But I, I think that we see here reflected uh, things in scripture that are not super explicit in the text, but are assumed that are a part of the broader tradition of the Jewish faith and the early Christian faith that if you only picked up a Protestant Bible, you're going to miss stuff because you're not yeah. actually reading all the other texts and traditions and ways in which uh, ancient people actually lived and practiced their faith, which is very different from a bunch of people sitting around arguing about, you know, verb Greek verb tenses in a classroom in 18th century German or something, Germany. Um, we have, we have to account for and attempt in some ways to, Oh, I'm moving the screen too much to account for our angel who maybe even sounds like us. If we were able to have ears to hear what that angel wants to say to us. Anyways, I'm going to get off of my angelic, uh, so may, may I, may I make no, one was... comment? Please, David. You, uh, this makes me think of C.S. Lewis. Oh, in some place, he writes about how, you know, in response to, I think it's one of his letters responding to why, one of the reasons the church spread so quickly in the beginning is the apostles were dealing with people who already stood, uh, already understood that there were supernatural forces at work in the world. They understood that there were demons. They understood that there were good forces and there were bad forces. And like, uh, uh, oh, I can't, I can't think of it right now. The, uh, you know, the, the Paul, and then Paul at at the uh, uh, Greek, the the Greek place. Uh, Areopagus. Areopagus. That's what I'm trying to think of. Thank you, Father. And so on. You know, so so they were moving in a world where people understood, <laughs> and this is where. Modern folks think we're crazy, I think. But that's, that's, they were moving in a world where people really understood the way the world really works. Yeah. And, it is, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, it took you a long time to develop the guardian angel. It took me a long time, too. It took me a long time to get accustomed to angels and demons. I firmly believe in angels and demons now. Boy, do I believe in demons. And, and it's, uh, 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 but it's so contrary to modern thinking, uh, modernity ever since the Enlightenment has been working so hard to get us to ignore, you know, these things that it's very hard to get your head into it. So. You know, I think this is, and part of that is if in the Enlightenment, part of the reason why you wanted to do that outside the war of religions. It's also what I think the British would use this phrase. I don't know if Kant does, but the Brits definitely did. Uh, if you were really into religion, you were an enthusiast. Because uh -huh. you weren't really, you weren't reasonable. And so you really actually believed something. And, and I get it because what they're trying to deal with is, you know, well, it's like the levelers or you can get some pretty extreme <laughs> uh, or, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, early the, the peasant revolt uh, what's his name I can't remember his name but Luther did not like him I'll just say that uh, I think they found him hiding under his bed and they killed him under his bed but I I'm forgetting his name but he was somebody who took he would be called an enthusiast he was really really into what he believed and he created an uprising and a following and so the enlightenment was an attempt to try and figure this out without any kind of appeals to revelation or this stuff because I mean 
But so there's some goods I could see in that, right? We, I, I'm not really interested in listening to the feller up in the holler up in the next door <laughs> telling me that Jesus told him he should be the governor of Tennessee or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's something reasonable in that, but I think this is exactly where you need the wisdom and solidity of the church and the tradition to be able to um, decipher, interpret, uh, just like when um, we're, the issue that we'll see with Paul and him being brought into the church um, or Peter's vision, these things are done and submitted to the broader church. They're not just done as private you know, revelations, but they're actually um, discerned, prayed over, and as a community, not as individuals. Um, so we have, well, I got us back to Acts by talking about that, but I think... Um, it's, it's fascinating here, of course, just on a basic level, uh, I would say like the literal level, the way the fathers would talk about this, this is a great, uh, escape. Peter is not like God's mission for Peter is he's, this is not where he's going to stop. And Herod's, he's going to mess with Herod again. And Peter gets out and there's a big consternation and he departs. So I think uh david sorry i just moved it again in verse 17 tell this to james and the brethren i think that's where you are seeing um the other james that we were talking about he's obviously not talking about tell the dead james <laughs> he's telling uh my understanding of this would be that he's telling james and the brethren referring to james over jerusalem right So let's read the last few verses. Man, my, sorry, my, it's going so fast. Philip, do you mind reading the last five verses oh, there? Not at all. <clears throat> now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him in a body, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because the country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and made an oration to them. And the people shouted, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord smote him, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the, wor <laughs> but the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Just so you know, it was Mark as well. Um, so I have heard that on? there what's... were worms in Herod even before he died. So. You've heard that before? He was so obese. Ah, uh, is that like a from? Um, he, he had a problem with maggots. Josephus, huh? Is that from Josephus? Where Where are you picking that? That's probably from uh, John Dominic Crossan, and I can't tell you right now what his sources were. Uh, you know, John Dominic Crossan wrote that. Uh, yeah, I, I know who it is. So he probably got it from Marx, right? Yeah, I, 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 I just, I just can't, I, I just can't remember. I just can't remember right now. No, there, there, there were secondary sources. They weren't. I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, 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 so I, I don't know. I just finished another book by Croston. Oh, 
How is that? He's still crossed. Yes, I'm not. I'm not surprised by that. Where? I'm trying to see where you've come across that that he was fat. Maybe maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else, but I thought it was Herod. I wonder if there there's something as I'm or maybe it was a different Herod that I am thinking of, because there were two or three Herods, right, or four. I can't remember. Yeah, there were several. Yeah, there were several. So it may have, may have been another Herod. Huh. Still, it's a fascinating well, phrase, though. He was eaten by worms and died. Yeah. I just came so, across a news article stating uh, or suggesting that he may have had gangrene, uh, which is where the worms slash maggots came from. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It wasn't obesity. It was gangrene. So, so, what, what, so what do you think is the spiritual depth to what's going on here? <clears throat> I mean, it seems to me we have a false king who's trying to end the spread of the rule of the newly crowned King Jesus. Uh, and it's, it's kind of the case of the emperor has no clothes, right? Yeah, he's got royal robes on, uh, but he's also got worms. <laughs> so he's, he's all dressed up, but he's going to die. It kind of reminds me for some reason of kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and I, I, this is just kind of my free association when I think of like kings that try to um, don't listen to God or ignore. And then I just think I have just very stark oh, in my head as a kid of Nebuchadnezzar out in the fields looking like an, a wild beast um, because he won't heed what God has to say. Um it sounds like most of the Old Testament to me, anyhow. That's fair. The history, um, I mean, that's just, that, that cycle keeps happening. Yes. Well, and I think that that cycle, I think this reflects in the book of Acts as well, as well right? We have yeah. a king who's over the people of God, or at least uh, um, Israel at the time, or however you want to call that area. And he's standing up against uh, the mission of God and... We have another angel here, right? We have an angel releasing. I feel like almost every chapter in Acts so far is giving us diptychs. We have the bad image and the good image, or the good image and the bad image. Peter, he's released by an angel, and he, you know, they even confuse Peter for an angel. They have an angel, and he's killing people. Um, it also reminds me of Exodus in the sense of that there is a judgment that's brought by an angel of death. Uh, on the Egyptians versus all the angelic uh, leaders or um, that Israel had getting out of uh, of Egypt. Shall we move to the next chapter? Or does anyone have any comments about that? Kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. Don't don't try to take your brother's wife and kill the prophets. <laughs> so, 
that, the only other comment I've is, got is is with Peter appearing at the door. Uh huh. It reminds me of my daughter. You know, the reason my daughter does not like grand opera because she says, Dad, they'll spend 15 minutes singing about opening the door. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> I couldn't help but think of that in reading those verses because it's like poor Peter appears at the door and Rhoda goes, oh, my gosh, it's Peter. And she goes running in and they spend all this time arguing about whether it's really Peter. Oh, or Peter's standing at the door. Angel and it's like. Somebody open the door and let the poor guy in. <laughs> <sighs> That's very operatic passage. So, although if it's Wagner, it would take forty-five minutes to sing, <laughs> <laughs> if not half a day. <laughs> well, let's continue, since especially since we heard a very low uh, minor note with Wagner there. <laughs> let's uh let's move past german romanticism back to uh uh erica do you mind reading first 12 verses sure now in the church at antioch there were prophets and teachers barnabas simeon call, who was called uh, niger lucius of cyrene mononen a member of the court of herod the tetrarch and saul while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Actually, stop there. Because so, okay. there's a lot. There's a lot there. We've already talked about at the end of chapter 11 about prophets. And I was talking about the Didache and revisiting the Didache a later document of the early church that wasn't found, I think, until the early 20th century or late 19th century. And um, obviously there is some kind of office or position or uh, in the church for prophets and teachers, and there's some kind of difference there. Uh, we saw, obviously, a prophet at the end of 11, uh, Agabus, right? If I'm remembering how to pronounce the name, it's not a very common name. I don't know of anybody who's ever named their son Agabus. Um, but we're here now. We have Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, uh, Manae. I'm just going to say Manaean probably because of, I don't know. Um, who is fascinating because we just heard about dead Herod. And now we've got somebody who's a member of Herod's court and Paul. And I think there's here we have worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, so one, I think this underlines for us, the life of the church has been a lot of action, but the book has been very, has underlined very often or emphasized the disciplined, prayerful, um, attentive work of the early church. That when Peter's in jail, they're together, it's nighttime. And they're praying. Uh, you have a very specific time. They are obviously in a cycle of worship, but also in fasting, that there is something that they were specific in doing it together. It wasn't just an individualistic thing. Uh, but there's communal fasting. And I think it's important that the actor that we've seen throughout the book of Acts, and I don't think I've emphasized this as much. I think I mentioned it once or twice. The actor here in verse two is the Holy Spirit. 
it's not God or the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit said. Um, and this is one of those times where I would underline what St. Basil, to this day, you know that there's not Trinitarian, or there, there are professed Christians who would deny the Trinity. Um, but this is a passage for which like St. Basil the Great would say, you have the Holy Spirit speaking. There's obviously some kind of personhood, personality, and those words are not sufficient. So caveat there, right? Because we have a lot of, we attach a lot to persons or personalities. I don't mean to deny three persons. What I'm saying is when we think of a person, we think of like a human being with consciousness, you know, origin, like problems or joys. We have to kind of, shed those things when we're talking like we need to be careful when we're talking about three persons that we're not just thinking it's three you know daniel erica and david somehow up in heaven you know that that's somehow what god is three persons hanging out um but the holy spirit is the actor the holy spirit uh is now um we had jesus he had his ministry it was empowered by the holy spirit it was introduced by the holy spirit it was I say pregnant and penetrated with the Holy Spirit. His resurrection is because of the Holy Spirit. And then the church, the life of Christ that extends through the church is still the life that is given by the Holy Spirit as a gift. And so the Holy Spirit also wants Barnabas and Saul set apart. So they fast, pray, and lay their hands on them and send them off. Again, we've talked about laying on of hands. This seems to be a kind of commissioning uh, setting aside and uh, giving authority to someone. The act, uh, to this day, we talk about this as um, ordination, as laying on of hands. Actually, I'm going to check the Greek here to see what the Greek is. Does anyone have any questions or comments about verse, these first three verses? Is, is there any Jewish tradition of laying on of hands? I believe that if we looked at the kind of ordaining of kings, maybe even a prophet, so kind of laying on of hands or a giving of the mantle, as it were, uh, there might be something okay. there. Just, I, I, yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head, though. I'm, I'm trying to get to the Greek here for laying on of hands. Because I know what it is in the ordination services in the Greek, but. Here we go. Yep, it's the same root word. Which, of course, huh, I forgot. Basically, herotonia just means hands like laid on. So that's where, that's where it comes from. For ordination, we call it herotonia, which is basically just the laying on of hands. We have ordination, and that has, you know, a certain kind of valence in English, but in the Greek, it's just laying on of hands. Hmm. So, shall we uh, cover Cyprus here and then end for the night? Did Philip leave? Well, he's muted and he's dark, but that he's doesn't dark. mean he's He left. went dark. He's eating. Sorry, I, I don't know. I, I was blowing my nose I, oh how very kind of you well i try to be considerate 
I probably would have just done it and would let the volume on. <laughs> How uncouth. Uh, so, or who would like to read? Uh, Erica, I cut you off at three verses. You, you should read. You read four okay. through twelve. Sure. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, uh, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as, Pap as Papos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, withstood them, seeking to turn away, from the, turn away the proconsul from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! you enemy of all righteousness, full of, of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seek, seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I don't remember this from my youth. <laughs> I don't either. Wow. First it jumps out at me in verse seven, Sergius. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot. That's a really Greek name. I always associate Sergius with like Russian for some reason, probably because of St. Sergius. Um, so we have another magician. Um, I'm blanking on the first magician. Um, Simon. Uh, now we have, a, and it is explicit here, Simon, they don't have as much bad things. I mean, it's, it's definitely very clear that Simon, what Simon wants is incorrect. But here you have a very strong understanding that there, he's a, uh, that there's a Jewish false prophet and um, and you have this um, I'm getting confused now because I'm seeing two two magicians but I'm sure they're both the same person I can't imagine it's different uh, I'm sure just there's a bunch of people in Acts who have multiple names so we have Bar Jesus, the son of Jesus, um, uh, and we have this magician that wants to stop Sergius from understanding the faith. And what do you make of Paul's statement to him? Of all the things that Luke could have shared about this exchange, we get nothing about what the false prophet says. My guess is he doesn't believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So, uh, but what do you make of Paul? And I think this is the first time they call Saul Paul, isn't it? And this is the first time we come across him being called Paul. Or as I could tell. Yeah. 
Father, are you, saying there's, are you saying there's two different magicians here? Or no, I think one? there's one. I just got thrown. Two different names in, for one magician. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think is actually going on. I got thrown just for a second because I'm seeing two okay. names. One, okay, yeah. uh, it looks like one is uh, like Greek name. Uh, like Saul for, and Paul. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, according to the Wikipedia, they are the same person. A trusted yeah, okay. guide. Yes. <laughs> Have you given your three dollars a share? No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> the internet should be free. Uh, yeah, I need to send my three bucks. <laughs> so, what do you all make of Paul here? You well, son it, of the it, devil! It, re it, it really the struck enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Brood of vipers, like I'm that fits on very well in here too. But it really struck me he doesn't. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Which tells me whatever this guy was doing, especially coupled with his names, that uh. that it that that what he was doing came out of the tradition came out of the faith but he was twisting uh the old testament for lack of a better term right and he and he and he was twisting you know the, the message he wasn't he wasn't a pagan he, he he was a jew uh who was interpreting uh you know ter, you know inter, interpreting the uh, whether it was oral or written at that time who knows but you know who was interpreting you know the, the the stories of the faith in an inappropriate manner, in an incorrect manner. He wasn't flat out wrong, right? Because Paul doesn't it say Paul doesn't say contradicting. I just think the term is used make making crooked the straight ways. It's the way, but he's making it crooked instead of. Straight. And it reminds me of the language of John the Baptist and the. Um, Old Testament that he will make uh, paths straight, the valleys flat, that kind of language. Yeah. So I think there's prophetic, the, the same kind of prophetic language yeah. here. Um, and it's also, I, I think there's a delicious irony that Paul is blinding somebody by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it I worked for me. Maybe uh, it'll work for you. Yeah. Here's your wake-up call. <laughs> um, yeah, please, Josh. Question. Um, bar Jesus, the, the, the prefix or the yes. bar. Uh, anybody know father what or son? What does that mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, father it's, or son? I, I think it's it means. Of, that's, that, it, that is son of. Yeah, that's what I thought. So it's son of Jesus. Okay. Yeah, so uh, name, Barabbas is uh, son of the father, literally. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I knew there was something to it. I just couldn't remember. Yeah. You know, like I, I've heard sometimes of Jesus bar Joseph. Mm. Right. Which is incorrect, that's, that's, but but that's what that's, that was, uh, that's probably what his formal name was was Jesus bar Joseph. Interesting. The um, 
it seems it's it's fascinating that we've encountered um, these sorcerers. In I mean, it makes sense. We were just talking about the world that they lived in is very different from ours. Um, and I think there's something there's a reason why they mentioned that he's a magician or that he's a sorcerer, I think is what the King James says. Um, but I think you're right, David, there's something, he's not a pagan, but he's some kind of Jewish, but like an amalgamation such that he doesn't, re he really doesn't want Jesus in the mix of things. And it seems like from what I can tell from scripture about magicians, there's a kind of desire for power in magic and that, my guess is that he had some kind of hold on Sergius um, and didn't want him to go that direction. And so Paul um, put him in his place. Paul's not being very PC here. Should Paul have been uh, tolerant of bar J Jesus? I'm not saying that we should go around blinding people. And if you guys have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, let me know. Because I probably need to know. Uh, <laughs> for your own protection, <laughs> I need I need to know for my own protection. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's fascinating. Would any of us today, if we were Sergius Paulus, if we had heard Paul and Barnabas talking, and we had this fellow that's been around, and Paul turns and rebukes him and blinds him. Would that make you believe in the teaching of the Lord? Probably not. Just, just being real. Because I, I think part of it is because, and this is also the, just the diff, I think it's fine to be able to say, like, I don't think that would appeal to me because I think it's a difference in our world. We don't think like they do. So we would see something like that and just be like, I don't know how to discern what that means besides you blinded that dude. Um, and then I'd have to really check myself as to what that like, but I think there, there's something part of the reason I'm even bringing this up outside of like our own skepticism and like the change of how we see those kind of actions in the world and what they could signify is that this is all through the martyr accounts of acts of piety or fidelity or, you know, some miracle and there's a conversion. Uh, why, do I, why do I bring that up? Because it can be hard if you read enough of the lives of the saints, especially early stuff. There's a lot of fantastic stuff in it, and it can be very easy for us to just say, not for me. I don't know what to do with that. And I would ask for us to just pause and allow that difference and alien nature of it to just be instead of trying to just make it go away or ignore it. Because I think there's a very similar thing is happening in, you know, scripture. You have an act that's pretty intense that doesn't seem to be that Paul had a really well-reasoned argument with Sergius and proved Illumis wrong through either his great piety or, you know, et cetera, he blinded him. And Sergius was like, whoa, all right, I'm on board. Uh, but the ancient world would have operated in that way. And that's not, that's why you would see those same kind of accounts, even in other early martyrdom accounts that might seem like 
this is a little strange. I don't understand. I think it's okay for the past to be still remain foreign territory for us in some ways, and to be okay with that. Still, Father, the the twelve B, if you will. Yeah. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That's. So I think the two go together. Yes. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of how the. Uh, you know, Jesus was doing these miracles, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I can't remember which group it was, or maybe both groups were saying that. Uh, well, what he's doing is the work of Beelzebub. Right. Uh, the ancients understood that there were people that were so cl closely connected to the spiritual powers that they could, they, they could at least seem to work miracles. Right. And 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 then the issue became, yeah, but. <laughs> Miracles on behalf of who? Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking about that, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, because the miracles, okay, they get your, maybe they get your attention, or maybe they got the proconsul's attention, but it's the teaching, I think, that really makes the difference. Maybe I'm I, wrong. I, I, I'm just no, speculating. No, no, no. I, totally, I totally agree with you, and I welcome that correction, amendment, uh, et cetera. I, I think... Um, it said what he saw and the teaching of the Lord. And I think that underlines as well for me, the power of the teaching of the Lord and the actual spiritual warfare that occurs that can actually be in disagreeing with other people. Yeah. So I'm not too keen on um, having public um, disputations with people. It's not my shtick. Um, some people can be pretty brazen or flint faced about it and can, you know, do it. Um, it depends on the situation. Like if there was something on the line, you know, let's go for it. But our world, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we've lost a public, a sense of the public. We don't have spaces where we disagree with each other and we'll sit down and talk for a few hours. We don't have, I mean, heck, I don't even, let's, let's just bracket COVID. Okay. <laughs> even out without COVID and all of that, we don't have places where we actually like interact. Would we like interact with that many Sergiuses or, you know, bar Jesus? Like most of us are in cars or in, like, if we interact with people, it's like, please give me a coffee and a donut and I'll sit in that corner over there and please don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. It's sad, but a lot, I think what's, what's happened with a lot of like, a lot of folks, we've lost a lot of it. So part of that is a loss for the church too, of exposure. Everything is exposed through me, like social media or those things, instead of actual people that we know that we might disagree with, who might do things that, you know, are full of deceit and villainy. I'm sure some, I mean, I'm kind of overstating the case. I'm sure we know of some folks who have experienced that, but I think we live more and more kind of insulated lives that that's part of the reason why we're not keen to actually disagree with people. We'd rather just let it go and not deal with it. And that's kind of, uh, yeah, unless, well, no, no, but I think, but 
then I'm thinking about online culture and I go. But that's also, it's easy to not see the, the person on the other side of the screen. And there's, there's not the, especially like out in a physical public space, there's not the, like you, you still have to be with the other person because you can just shut off your device. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Unless you blind them. Yeah. Then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mist and darkness. Yeah. There's, oh. a name for, there's a name for that, isn't it? What do they call that? When you, when you just come cut off somebody. Uh, like what they're so talking you can't about see their the, posts anymore or oh, like, unfollow them unfollow yeah. them but there's another name for a clear or something like that mute. you can mute huh? them too you can mute them too yeah yeah i i do that um but yeah uh what i think this i think so to kind of draw that to a head is i think we there's extremes that can occur there's either, it seems like it's in your face, extreme, like uh, some bro YouTube culture stuff that's just like, whoa, these guys, good grief. Um, they probably just need a girlfriend or something or somebody to tell them they love them because there's just so much, there seems so much anger. I'm thinking like Alex Jones, but there's, but this is even penetrated into like the religious world. Have you all seen yeah. the recent Alex Jones tirade? It's a little nuts. Um, you're okay. Uh, but there is something worthwhile in actually sparring with and disagreeing with folks who are teaching things falsely. And to actually have the courage to be able to say, no, this is wrong. And I think many times we think that we're going to end up in like that Alex Jonesy kind of crazed fit at times when we should just be able to say no to something because mm -hmm. we've kind of lost the ability to do it i mean i have i don't, I don't want to do it but there's times i have i've had to it's been since being ordained there's times where you have to say things and do things in situations where you know you have to I'm because sure. something's wrong mm -hmm. so there's something about paul you know, Peter's this impetuous guy. Paul, I, he's got a backbone too. Yeah. Did you, uh, th this is making me think of uh, Terry. Yeah. And for anybody who might watch this, doesn't go to our church, I'm talking about Terry Mattingly. Uh, Terry's recent column on uh, uh, civil discourse. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And it is the, those, those two guys, one center left and one center right, uh, one's from Harvard, one's from Princeton. They're quite well known, public intellectuals. You're talking about Cornell West and Robert P. George. Yes, that's who I'm talking about. And they're wonderful dialogues about, about, about civil discourse. Would you really call Cornell West center left and George center right? I would even put, I mean, I would put them. I don't think Cornell West. Uh, well, that, that's how they're described. Right. I, okay. think, this, I think those are the <laughs> terms right. that Terry uses. Okay. 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 And I was surprised to hear Cornell West called center anything. I mean, I've, yeah, you know, I've followed Cornell for a, a long time. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and I like and George, I, 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 yeah. I look at that relationship and I say, 
if only we could actually do this but yeah but yeah yeah but you know your your discussion just made me think of that i mean i mean there's this is impossibility anymore of engaging with in civil discourse and they both have prophetic ways of speaking in different registers robert george is a roman catholic intellectual and yeah. Cornell West as an African-American intellectual, but also like preacher. He's got the preacher in him. Mm-hmm. He's a Baptist. Oh, yeah. He's a Old black Lordy, Baptist. he's a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. Also, and the yeah. ability that they are to be able to spar and still be friends and still, you know, and George, I mean, Robert George is one of those folks in Cornell too, to be able to pin and say the things that they feel that they need to. But still being able to have the compassion and the humaneness and humanism behind it to have real tolerance, but still have boundaries and things. Yeah, there are, there are atheists that, uh, this is years ago when the internet just began, uh, that I encountered in forums. Was this around when uh, Al Gore was tinkering yeah. in his basement yeah. or something? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, 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 it was on the New York Times, as a matter of fact. New York Times used to have these wonderful forums. And, and, and I got engaged in uh, uh, discussions with different atheists. And I've often said that's one of the most, that's one of the most, uh, I learned a lot. Yeah. Because it was civil discourse with people who weren't just, oh, it's just a bunch of bullshit. No, they, they were very thoughtful okay david you're gonna have to make me go back and edit this oh i'm sorry sir warning david we're live now okay i'm you got sorry a hot mic. <laughs> go ahead david i'm sorry i forget but now the bab just listening is hanging up is turning it off yeah <laughs> this is a demonic conversation but i mean but it, okay but back to my point they were thoughtful yeah they were thoughtful they were learned people they had examined christianity very closely and they had reasoned enlightened is the actually the best term i think i can use in, enlightened opinions as, as to why they would not be christians and so there were there, there was just wonderful there, there were wonderful conversations they taught so, me so much about me and 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 my faith and what they didn't right. understand about myself but to try and find a civil conversation like that these days with anybody who doesn't agree with you it's it's horrible and i don't care if people are coming from the left or from the right yeah everybody treats everybody else as evil and demonic and, and uh, yeah I think I mean, this is one of my mottos, right? Just follow the money, right? There's a reason why. Oh, yeah. Discourses with, you know, demonizing people sells ads. And sure. that's how you do the 24-7 news cycle. It's not very interesting to actually have a discourse. Yeah. Unfortunately, sure. passion sell. Reason, the fruit of the Holy Spirit does not sell very much. Wow, that actually ties back into the book of Acts. Whoa, way to go. <laughs> way to bring Divine it economy in the book of Acts. <laughs> All right. He landed the plane. <laughs> and with that, it's like, well, my feet don't move and I put my hands up. You can drop the mic now. Yeah. Yes.
Okay. Is, there, is there one of those things on here to drop the mic instead of raise your hand? So, uh, well, this was fun. I don't think I've said that at the end of these before, but, oh, Erica, raise your hand. Um, but we should probably, well, I need to go home because I'm tired. It's nine o'clock and we went 30 minutes over, but we started late. But we were able to get through a whole chapter and half of another, and we will continue here in Acts 13 uh, the next time. Yeah, it should be next Wednesday. Thank you for your time, all Father. Right. Thank, Thank you, you all. Good to see everybody. Thank you, Father. I hope you'll let me talk again. Oh, of course. <laughs> all right. God bless everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night, all. Good to see you guys. Likewise.